Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Yes, we are going there today, children. Mm. And I say we because I'm over here mm. and Lou's over there. Hey there. And we are here to tell you that we are we are positive, encouraging podcast each and every day. Stop laughing. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm serious today. I do not have something that makes you cry. Yeah, it was good. It was good news. I have something that is uplifting and will be soul edifying. Stop okay. laughing. All right. Well, we've got. But to before we take get time to there. celebrate the small things like that, right? <laughs> See, now you want me to start singing Blink eighty <laughs> two. Oh boy. All the small. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, bad 90s flashbacks there. So what are we talking about? Well, we are going to have some good news in regards to marriage. And if you've been watching the news, like, this month, <laughs> or if you tried to buy, like, food, or you saw a TV commercial or watched a television show in the last couple of weeks, then you'd be like, there's something positive in the realm of marriage and sex? Yes! Yes, there is! And we have it! All right, we have it. before we get there, we have to deal with our foundation. All right. So let's get a foundation laid. So we are in Matthew 19, so turn in your Bibles. Let's go back to the beginning here. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. So Jesus is still traveling around. He is in and around the region of Jerusalem. He is heading towards the crucifixion. He is still doing his earthly ministry, teaching, healing, proclaiming the gospel and kingdom of God. In the midst of all of that, some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Now let's just stop and deal with that real quick. Yeah. That's a trick question. I mean, that right there in and of itself is a trick question. In order to think that that's a valid question, you would have to misunderstand, like, all of your Old Testament. Not most of it. Like, all of it. Right. That's not the, that is not the goal of the law. That is not the goal of the provisions that are given for marriage and families in the law. That is not the goal given in Deuteronomy, the retelling of the law for how a family is supposed to function. That is not the pattern of humanity or even what has been encouraged in humanity going all the way back to the garden. Right. Like there's no point where you could ask that question and be like, this is legit. Like at all. Yeah, I think it had to do a lot though with the cultural things that were going on and what they were actually doing. You know, divorcing a woman for any reason whatsoever. There's lots of discussions about that in commentaries, but well, but the fact that they can even ask that with a straight face should show you just how broken this culture is, and how far from the how far from the anchor that should have been holding them they have drifted. To think this is a legitimately challenging question to a rabbi is just insane. Right now, we love Jesus for a multitude of reasons, obviously. All right. This is one of them, because he does not accept the premise of the question. Christian, this is unrelated to anything else we're going to talk about today, but if you would like to actually take that back. This is not unrelated. This is just a corollary or a side thing. If you would like to be able to consistently deal with the issues that the world is presenting to you, learn how to think globally. Learn how to think in worldviews and suppositions. Learn to understand and evaluate what the thought process behind the question is. If you do that, 
you will be blessed to discover that uh, there's really, one, not anything new under the sun, and two, a lot of times when it comes to the pagan mindset, there is no there there. And a lot of times with the there that they're arguing from is, I want to. Right. And that's as deep as it goes. I want to. Yes. And that's part of what you're seeing here. So, Jesus answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Where does Jesus go? All the way back to the beginning. Literally, to the very beginning. Right. Like, we are back to day six here. <laughs> right. Right, right. I the mean, The earth is not a week old where Jesus goes back to. So, what is Jesus grounding his answer and understanding in? He's grounding it in the reality of who God is and what God has done. What God has ordained. Right. What God has he joined together. Want, yes. He does not want to deal with any corollary, any man-made addition, which is a big deal because this is the fight that Jesus has been picking throughout the gospel, is every time there's a Sabbath, Jesus is needling their Sabbath regulations. And notice how I said that. For he's sure. He's needling their, their Sabbath yeah. regulations. You're 100% on that he's one. Not dealing, he's not digging into the commandment as far as it is concerned from God. He is dealing in the commandment as far as it is concerning from people. So if you're going to deal with a marriage understanding... Best not start with what people say. Best to start with what God has said. Where does this idea come from? Which also, by the way, okay, quick exit ramp. You ready? All right. Why do you get to define marriage? Because God did. Now, we're not defining anything. Yeah. We're just because, we're just recognizing what God already defined. Because God did. Mm -hmm. And we're operating from the definition that God has provided. Mm -hmm. That's Jesus' understanding, Christian. That should be your understanding from here until Jesus comes back. Right. So, they then said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? Once again, not a good faith question. I mean, completely... Not a good faith question. Did Moses command that you give your wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? No. He authorized, and in that authorization, he provided a means of accountability and documentation. Right. Yeah, there's a lot to consider in marriage and in divorce in that ancient culture. I mean, what would have happened to the lady and the children? How would they be provided for? So... What are their rights? Right. What do, what, there's a lot that goes on. If you're remarrying, what happens to property? What happens to inheritances? This matters because yeah. if you send a wife away and you send kids away and then you attempt to disinherit those children, that certificate of divorce is going to be awful handy mm -hmm. because they have rights too. Yeah. They have an inheritance based upon a law. This is not a command on this is how you get rid of a woman you don't like anymore. Yeah. This is a, how do we protect a society because we know what about society? <laughs> we know that it is full of broken and sinful people, which means even a society well-ordered, under holy writ, handed down from on high, literally, right. is going to devolve into chaos and brokenness because it is populated with sinful people. I think we got, uh, you know... As far removed as we are from the, the time and the culture that we have here, it's amazing how much things stay the same. 
you know, in the first century, this was an issue, and the families were being attacked by all of these different cultural things that they were talking about, you know, their oral laws and their their gray area and, and things, and that's what they were trying to establish, their authority over, they were usurping God's authority. Yes. But we're doing the same thing, and we, we see firsthand the destruction of the family and what it's done to our society today. So this is really important stuff. Yeah, it's an understanding, again, what's the standard for what does a family look like, yeah. what does a marriage look like, <clears throat> and how do those things go together? Right. Now, to give some credence to us, let's let Jesus do some talking. Right. He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. So stop. This is the point that I was just making. This is not a, here's how you get rid of a woman. Here's how you send her away. No, no, no. We shouldn't have to deal with this issue. Right. But because of the sin, and again. Yeah, where was that sin from? I don't, well, I don't think the connection to hardness of heart is, is, is accidental either. No. Because if you're an Israelite talking about the law of Moses, when you talk about hardening of the heart, who do you immediately think of? If I told you Moses and the hardening of the heart, what's your next thought? Well, I was thinking of uh, Pharaoh and, and all of the times that he hardened his heart. That's immediately what I would think yeah. of. What do you think the crowd thought of? Probably. Because well, we are God's people. We are mm-hmm. God's delivered. We were his chosen. It is Pharaoh whose heart was hardened. It is Pharaoh who sinned against God and refused to listen. Jesus is pointing out, yes, yes, he did. And so have you. Hmm. You're not better. You're not greater than because you have the blood of Abraham. You need to have the blood that is spilled from God. Hmm. You need to have the blood of Christ. I know it hadn't been shed yet, but that's the hope. That's the longing. Well, I think that's what all of the sacrificial system was Agreed. pointing to, the blood. and yeah. that's, This is about calling them to something higher. Again, go back to the beginning. When you start thinking foundationally, you should be thinking promise. You should be thinking seed of the woman. You should be thinking there's a reason why these families were to be knit together in this way to train up a next generation. It's because that next generation was the hope of everything. Right. Everything. We need a seed of the woman to crush the serpent and his offspring. Unless mm-hmm. we have a discipled and trained up next generation, from where does this seed come from? Right. Who's right. crushing the serpent? Who's giving us rest? Who's who's redeeming us from the curse? Who's doing all of this? This was this was this the, the function of marriage and family in Israel was meant to be a teaching tool also to point them to the work that God was doing in their midst. Not just in their marriage, but in their very soul. A redemption. So it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his his wife, you say that three times fast, except for immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. That's serious, man. It is. It's very. Now, we could spend like the next three hours trying to figure out what books have been written on on the adultery thing. Oh, for sure. We're not going to go down that road. We are going to go down the road that says, though, Jesus is laying down a high standard. This is not something that you just cut off because you feel like it. This is something that is ordained by God, ordered by God, for a reason both specific and general. Or maybe I should say both um, societal and theological. And therefore, any corruption 
degradation or destruction of it should be undertaken very, very carefully. Yeah, for sure. Is, is that fair? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think we can. I think we can kind of plant ourselves there. It's firm without foundation. Without trying to get you know completely lost into the twenty-seven places we could go. <laughs> no, for sure. Okay, so why do we need to have this as our foundation? Because this actually undergirds some good news. Because I'm sure you have been waterboarded for years with churches look like the world too much. And look, I have, I have said this too because, let's be honest, a lot of times churches do look too much like the world. For sure. And the world's track record on divorce rates is atrocious, sketchy at best. Mm-hmm. I mean, can we go with sketchy? Okay. I mean, t- t- at best, like that's that's their high water mark is the culture's the culture's accomplishment in marriage is sketch. <laughs> ooh, ooh, I can use Gen Z language. Oh. It's sus. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's sus. <laughs> I'm hip, cool, and relevant. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. I could not let, you can't just leave that sitting there. And yeah, my grandkids use that word. See, see, you've been called sus, haven't you? It's a little sus, Grandpa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, use full words before I smack you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. But, and because the culture has this distorted, broken view of marriage, what you're actually seeing now is the culture abandoning it. And while there are pockets that are trying to return to a more foundational view, in law, in mass, the culture is abandoning marriage. I mean, you have I, you have concepts of like starter marriages and <sighs> and I mean, you know, throwaway relationships. I mean, this, this whole thing, you know, we'll just be roommates or that's my fiance. Oh, really? How long have you been engaged? Eight years. Seriously, you guys, what? Do, so you know, don't be in such a hurry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it just seems like the people, they don't, they're not ready. They don't want to make a commitment to each other. They don't see the value in the family uh, as a unit and how it, how it, uh, it, 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 it helps our society. They don't see any of that. They don't see a value because one, it hasn't culturally been modeled. Two, it hasn't culturally been encouraged. Well, the exact opposite culturally has been modeled. and. this is why people get mad. This is this was part of the argument for um, the gay rights agenda, what, probably 15, 20 years ago, was there are some tax perks to being married. Sure. I mean, Shelters, you get, yeah. your, in, your income bracket and tax rate gets adjusted if you have the same income and Benefits you're married. at work. Benefits at work, income tax breaks, tax credits, things like that. These all matter. Why? Why are those there? Because it is good, as you said, for it's good for a society mm-hmm. to have people get married and stay married. So the government, recognizing that it is good for its own citizenry and culture, encouraged that. It was incentivizing getting married and staying married, sure. trying to make the uh, trying to make the benefits such that there was an actual cost to this. Mm-hmm. What you've seen probably in the last forty years is society slowly trying to undo that. Oh yeah, for sure. And slowly trying to tear this apart. In every aspect of it, too. So I always like to I always like to point out. I mean, go back to our air quotes cultural leaders. If you, if you ever want to have some fun, go look at Wikipedia pages from movie stars and singers all the way back into the '30s. Okay. And do you know what you'll see? What's that? Like five, six, seven spouses. Oh yeah, yeah, 
for sure. Even all the way back into the 30s and 40s. Yeah, it's funny you mention that. I mean, uh, and those are the people that are, are kind of culturally guiding our our kids because our kids look up to them. Yeah. And, and they, they talk about these things all the time. There are lots of people that get out there and just blast marriage. I'm astounded by it, but, I mean, it's like you expect that in, like, the 70s, 80s, 90s. But you can go back and look at movie stars in the 30s and 40s and 50s, and it's like, oh, my goodness, you people were – it's like got married in 1960, divorced in 62, got married in 62, divorced in 63, got married in 63, divorced in 65. It's like, what are you people doing? Yeah, I know it. Now, conversely, go look up. That's that's the actors, the actresses, stuff like that, mm-hmm. singers and stuff like. That. Now go look up the marriages of the producers and the movie studio heads and the business executives. What's that look like? The complete opposite. Is it? It's the complete opposite. In other words, the people that are successful in building things in life are typically getting married early to mid twenties mm-hmm. and then staying married the rest of their lives. Mm. <laughs> and they're happy. Well, be, and they're successful. Mm-hmm. And you don't see drug abuse and alcohol like you see on the performer end of it, at the executive end. That's interesting. Because, I never noticed that. Because the culture is different on that end than it is in the other. I'm sure. So I point that out because you get more of what you incentivize in a culture. We know this. That's why there were tax benefits. You also get more of what you incentivize pop culture-wise. So by holding up these stars, you are slowly but surely eroding the culture at large. You are slowly but surely eroding the mindset of the masses towards marriage and relationships and how they function. Why would you do that? Because who created marriage? It's not a shaking of fist at culture. It's mm-hmm. not a shaking of fist at marriage. It's not a shaking of fist at you being happy. It's a shaking of fist at God. Amen. It's to say, I don't want a culture to value and uphold marriage because I don't want a culture to value and uphold the God behind marriage. Preach it. I want to destroy it because at the end of the day, there is no neutral unbeliever. There is a, the angry, hateful you know, hater of God as the unbeliever. Yeah, it's, it's just a, they, described they nice as neighbors. enmity, yeah. an extreme hatred for God. Enmity. They may be nice neighbors who keep a good lawn and, you know, don't send their kids, you know, to crack houses and stuff. But at the same token, they hate God. Oh, yeah. You even mention God or anything like that, and you're going to see the claws come out. You're right. Now, why do I point this out? Because we've been told for years, I've been told this for years, that churches are just like the world, and in some ways they are, and our divorce rates are just like the world, and we're no better, and we're destroying this, and so you kind of get a negative view of the church culture as well. Yeah, people blaspheme the name of God because of what they see us doing. Well, here is your positive and mm-hmm. encouraging of the day. You ready? All right, let's hear it. A new survey shows that 71% of Americans in general support gay marriage. Oof. That's frightening. Yeah. I, prom- I promise you there's encouragement. <laughs> it's coming, okay? The same survey also shows that the air quotes final holdouts opposing gay marriage are Americans who attend church every week. (laughs) We actually have a definition and understanding of what marriage is and why it matters amongst a culture that is attending church on a regular basis. In the May 2nd to 22nd survey, Gallup asked adults in all 50 states and the District of Columbia, do you think marriages between same-sex couples should or should not be recognized by the law as valid with the same rights as traditional marriages? i got to give Gallup credit. 
That's a tough question to ask, too. As as survey questions go, that's pretty fair. Mm-hmm. That's usually when you get something along this issue, you'd be like, usually the survey question is, do you think homosexuals should have the same rights in marriage as, as heterosexual couples? But look at who they're asking, though. Oh, no, but, you, but if you phrase it like that. Mm-hmm. See, do you think homosexual marriages should have the same legal protections as heterosexual marriages? See, but if mm-hmm. you ask that question that way, the average person is going to say what? Yes. Yes. A lot of Christians would say what? Yes, because you've already assumed the answer that you're asking about. Mm. You asked what? Should homosexual marriages be given the same rights as heterosexual marriages? See, we've already determined that they're marriages. marriages. Mm-hmm. We've already decided that. Now we're asking you, we're asking you step two, not step one. Right. So that's a loaded question. I actually give Gallup a little bit of credit here. Do you think marriages, like, although there is some assumptions here, do you think marriages between same-sex couples should or should not be recognized by the law as valid with the same rights as traditional marriages? So they're doing a little bit of assumption, but not much. I, I give them credit. In response, 71% of adults said it should be valid. Back in 2021, 70% of adults said homosexual marriages should be valid. So we've moved up one percentage point. Okay. Go, go team, right? Yeah, 1%. However, for Americans who attend church weekly, the attitude is very different. Gallup asked the same question, do you think marriages between same-sex couples should or should not be recognized by the law as valid with the same rights as traditional marriages? And only 40% of weekly churchgoers said yes. 58% said they opposed gay marriage. Now, that number's too high, yes. But it's, you ready? This is me moving the goalpost right here in real time. All right. That's better than the world. Yeah. That's 31 percentage points better than the world, which means, Christian, in your church, you are holding the line. You are. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll pair this with a survey I actually saw a few years ago, which I think it was Barna Group that did that one. Don't quote me on that, though. That actually said that church divorce rates are much, much lower than the world's. That the world's divorce rates 50-50, 60-40, and that church divorce rates are like 30, 70, 80, 20. And when they define, because they define church like this, people that actually go, go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. people that actually show up periodically, you know, right, not just right. like, yeah, I'm a member. I'm, I'm there like on Mother's Day and when there's potluck and Chrysler, what do they call it? I can't Creaster. remember. Creaster. The Creaster, the Christmas yeah. Easter. Yeah. <clears throat> but you have to add to that now, which that's changed. It used to be Christmas and Easter were the big holidays. Mm-hmm. They are no longer. Okay. The um, Lifeway did this survey a few years ago. The two most attended services now that churches do in their calendar year by marginal attenders and non-attenders mm-hmm. are now Mother's Day and Christmas Eve. <clears throat> okay. Which I find that interesting. Yeah. Because I think those are those are but what we've been discussing this entire time, those are hearkening back to an Americana church. So, you know, when mom's there and grandma's there and the whole family gets together, and then Christmas Eve kind of hearkening back to that same sort of peace on earth, goodwill towards men, you know, the, the Linus speech. Well, I, you know, coming from a Hispanic family and a Catholic background, um, Mother's Day is very important um, because of their veneration of Mary. Mm-hmm. So that, I could see where that would probably be true because <laughs> I've... 
I mean, it's just standing room only. I mean, yeah. all the way out to the back door. And Christmas Eve, though, has become a bigger deal than, like, Christmas, where it used to be, like, if you rewound the clock 35 years, it would probably be the, the local church choir's Christmas cantata. Even more so than Resurrection Day, huh? Yeah. Hmm. But now it's Mother's Day and Christmas Eve. And I said, I think that has more to do with the... This is where Ecclesiastes is in effect. Remember my rule, Ecclesiastes is always in effect. Mm. But it's um, Ecclesiastes, I, oh, I just looked at this. It's um, 311, mm. is that God has set eternity in man's heart so that he will not see his works under the sun. And I think when you see the attendance spikes on Mother's Day and Christmas Eve, that's part of that working itself out in real time. Mm. The understanding of the... The family coming together for mom, because nobody does it for dad, because dad doesn't care. But the family coming together for mom on Mother's Day. And the family coming together on Christmas Eve when it, it, it's songs you know, even if you didn't grow up in church. And it's imagery you're familiar with, even if all you've ever done is watch a Hallmark movie. <clears throat> it's the candles and the, and the Bible verses that you actually know, even if you didn't grow up in church. And the songs that you can sing. And it's... it's it's something that's familiar even though you don't go to church. Hmm. And there's a comfort to that as the world accelerates towards Sodom and Gomorrah territory. Does that make does that make sense? Yes. This is a theory that I'm working out literally in real time, but I think there's some validity to it. Mm-hmm. And the idea that people are longing for something. Yeah. That eternity in their heart, and they don't know how to get it. The thing that they're longing for is what Christ was pointing to in Matthew 19. The... The creation and working out of salvation by God in humanity, instilling and installing institutions and checks on sinful behavior that even the pagan can follow and be blessed by. The the concept that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Sure. Um, oh, this is um, oh, this is um, Ben Shapiro's Three Rules for Life. Oh. The um, which again, Jewish. Yeah, I like that. Unbeliever. But like it's ben. um if you want to basically in the United States guarantee that you will not grow up and live in poverty. It's graduate high school, get a job, and wait until you're married to have kids. Wow. If you little statistically speaking, if you do those three things, <laughs> you are guaranteed to be above the poverty level in the United States. Isn't that amazing? And it's and if you are not if you are not living above the poverty level, it is typically because and it's like ninety percent or something like that. But it's because one of those three things did not happen. Which I mean, the employment one makes big sense. If you're not full time employed, it's hard to. But even if you are full time employed and you graduated high school, if you had kids before you got married, your your chances of living in poverty skyrocket. It's just it's astounding to me. Yeah, there's just no value on family and work ethics or anything. But that's an example of the rain on the just and the unjust. Right. Is it good for a family, for husband and wife, to come together, have children, and remain together? Yes. That's especially true for believing families. But that's even true for unbelieving families. Well, there's absolutes in this world, and they're established by God and his word. Because he's the one who ordained the place. He's right. the one who, right. who set it into motion, and he is the one who is actively still governing it. And he knows how all this works. 
We're the ones that take things out of context and which, blow it every time. Which goes back to Jesus' point in Matthew 19. Right. It no, wasn't no, no. this way we from had, the beginning. Moses yeah. had to make a concession for you. Right? Moses had to make a concession for you people. <laughs> you people. <laughs> for you people. What is wrong with you people? Exactly. Yeah. I need my, I need my RC scroll button. Yep. So let's, let's, let's go back here. Analyzing Gallup's trends since 2004. Americans who seldom or never attend church have always been mostly supportive of same-sex same-sex couples getting legally married. Among those who attend nearly weekly or monthly, support did not rise to the majority level until 2014. Mm. So, actually, just attending monthly—I like nearly weekly. Mm, nearly, yeah. How does it even look? Yeah. So that's. Three times a month, I'm guessing. Which, if you want, to, you want, to, you want a fun brokenness on on American culture. I don't know if this is still the case, mm-hmm. but about ten years ago, when Lifeway was doing its surveys, I know this was true in the early 2010s. When Lifeway did a survey and said, and when they reported their survey results, if they reported results amongst regular church attenders. Lifeway was defining regular church attenders as 26 Sundays a year. That's half of... Yes, yes it is. That counted as regular church attenders. Yeah, so 52... Statistically speaking. So if you were in church basically every other Sunday, you were counted... You were. I don't know if you still are. You were counted as regular attender. So when you used to see... When you used to see surveys be broken down by non-attender regular attender well the other breakdown i think is that even with our regular attendance the only time that they crack their bibles open is on that sunday and and just as a pastor i'm sure you can probably speak to this better than most um you you know you're always encouraging go read the rest of the book it'll do you some good you know get in that word of god so that you understand and that's that. That's the punchline. You ready? Because yep. here it is. Yep. Yep. Adults age 65 and older became mostly supportive in 2016. Protestants in 2017 and Republicans in 2021. Those Republicans. So I love that Republicans held out longer than mainline Protestants. So mainline Protestants began accepting same-sex marriage faster than the National Republican Party. Oh wow. That's that's, that's not good. No, it's not good. That's not good. Faithful Catholics and Protestants, including evangelicals, and Orthodox Jews, those who would actually hold to what we call the Old Testament, those who follow the Bible's moral prescriptions and church tradition believe that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. So in other words, that that 58% that oppose gay marriage from earlier, they are almost universally made up of people who actually hold to the Bible's teachings. Right. That's the true dividing line. And that's right to your point, is this is what makes the difference. It's not just showing up, but actually believing something and following something and understanding that you're following something. Yeah, yeah. Take that away and we have... It's based on feeling. Yes. I mean, I've had several discussions this week based on how somebody feels about something, making it moral or immoral. Mm -hmm. And it's like our feelings have nothing to do with it. But that's too often what gets yeah. litigated. So in other words, what's the what changes? Now let's ask this fun question. So you ready? You can yep. play along at home, folks. All right. What changes the person from the marginal slash regular attender, the creaster, the Mother's Day, Christmas Eve person? That's that's category one. 
How do they get from category one to category two, where they are the regular attendal, a regular attender who is reading their Bible, is longing for a hope and a fulfillment, and is actually following the moral prescriptions of God? How do you get from one to two, A to B? Well, I think it's a divine work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, we got to be transformed and renewed. We can't be conforming to the world, you know, Romans 12. Uh, you can't do that. You, you have to be different. How? Which means, How does that happen? Which means living this out, right. proclaiming the gospel, actually making disciples, and ha- being able to think through not just what you believe, but why you believe it matters yeah yeah and because look you can look i don't care how nice you are i don't care how pleasant you are the uh the word du jour in the evangelical word to the world is right now is winsome we need to be winsome hmm. i don't care how winsome you are they're gonna hate you for it right i man i was oh man i was listening to a podcast and um oh what's his name um wretched radio oh, Friel. Todd Friel. Friel. Todd Friel. and some lady was she was. She claimed to be a Christian, but she was just broken because he was out there telling people that they were sinners. How dare you? You know, Jesus would never do that. And he's like, well, how would you do this? Well, I would let him see how I live. That doesn't work. You actually have to make disciples. You actually have to explain, be ready for the hope that People aren't going to see the way you live sometimes and say, oh, I bet that guy's a Christian. Oh, I, I've made this joke. How many times have I made this joke? Like, when have you ever been stopped in the checkout line at Walmart mm-hmm. because of how you handled a stressful situation? And somebody goes, <gasps> tell me about your God. Right. Like, right. When does that ever happen to you? The I mean, but the is, opposite is true. When they see you misbehave and they find out you're a Christian, then they blame it on, oh, yeah, on your... But, but when has yeah. anybody ever come in and been like, hey, tell me about Jesus because I saw the way you didn't steal from the store today. That's well done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I would have stole that. <laughs> yeah, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Right, right. No, what needs to be done is the actual proclamation. What, remember, when Jesus gets challenged here, what is he doing? He's teaching and doing the works. What does he answer with? He goes back to Scripture. Right. Now, if you do that, you're going to look at me and say, oh, they're just going to call me, you know, backwards. So what? Is it the foundation or isn't it? Is it the standard or isn't it? If that's what we're building our lives on and that's what it is good for society to be built upon, then why aren't we proclaiming that thing? Why are we trying to proclaim something else? Why are we trying to argue for something else? We need to – excuse me. We need to actually get back to what changes the hearts and minds of men and proclaiming why I'm doing what I'm doing and why I believe what I believe. And it's not because I'm better than you or because I'm smarter. It's because I've had the scales removed and I've had the heart of stone carved out and the heart of flesh implanted. Because if you don't, if you don't, what does the world look like? Well, just constant. Every year Gallup keeps doing the survey and every year they come up with what? We move a little bit closer to 100%. Why? Because the culture, apart from that change of heart, is broken. The rising tide that raises all boats is great until it's a tsunami. And then it just destroys everything in its path. Right. And that's what sin and paganism does. This is, this is my, one of my favorite questions. What does sin destroy and corrupt? Everything. Everything. Yeah. It leaves no stone unturned. The way I always like to phrase it is when do the locusts stop eating? When it's gone. When it's, when it's completely gone. The locusts never devour your field and go, okay, we're good now. I'm, I'm full. We'll, we'll maybe check out the neighbor's field tomorrow. No, they, they eat until they die or until there's nothing left. Right. And then they die. I mean, that's what they do. That's why, a swar- it's, why it's called a plague of, war- of locusts. 
That's why you describe children hitting hot dogs like that. It's like the plague of locusts came through here because they devoured what? Everything. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Everything. Hot dogs ever, are cookies. Yeah. If you've ever had teenagers in a house, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, for sure. They come in, raid the cabin, and you're like, what just happened? Did we, did we get invaded by bears? Well, that's what sin looks like in a world. It takes us away and goes, well, but if you destroy this institution, you're going to destroy our culture. Right. So what do we do? What does sin do? It destroys. Right. So I'll destroy that institution, and I'll destroy your culture with it. And after I've destroyed that culture and you erect another culture, I'll destroy its institutions and its culture. Yeah. And I'll just keep going and destroying until everything is consumed. It's, That's all it has. It's an attack on our foundation, too. I mean, they're, yes. they're attacking the scriptures in and of themselves. I mean, even from within side of, of said Christian universities, um, you, you see this, man, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing how... Somebody who calls himself an Old Testament professor and also affirms the fact that they believe that that the Torah was written by multiple people and it's so much later than Moses and it's just amazing the arguments we have even inside of the yeah. church and it's it's a complete attack not only on our our, our family but it's on our, our institutions as you mentioned uh, on the very scriptures that we stand on everything because who ordered the society God. Mm-hmm. Which means, right. and who do we hate? Yeah, it's, it's God. So right. we, have, it's we will destroy attack. everything under right. the sun because I can't destroy him. Right. This is what brokenness looks like. Now, what's the cure, Christian? Keep doing what you're doing. Right. Keep walking faithfully. Keep living faithfully. Keep making disciples. Keep proclaiming. And learn to see the question from the world and attack it the way Jesus does. Learn to see the worldview behind it. Mm-hmm. And learn to recognize that that's the foundation that needs to be destroyed. Notice he never really answered their question. No, it was always in parables because seeing they did not see and hearing they had not heard and their eyes weren't open, their ears weren't opened so that they couldn't see and hear and repent and be healed from their sickness, right? Yeah, but but even notice, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? Absolutely not. Did Jesus not. ever say, no, it's not? He, he gave them what? He challenged their foundation with a biblical one. All right. Now we all know what the answer was. You, the answer is absolutely not. And they now know that when they replace that foundation, but what does that reveal? It reveals the problem in your thought process and your thinking. This is what we have to learn how to do well, is understand what's the premise behind the question, and then let's replace it with a biblical foundation. This is how we give an answer for the hope that lies within us. This is how we make disciples, even amongst the pagans, is by by, uh, by undertaking to destroy their worldview and the speculations that they've built up and then undergirding a new thought process based on biblical principles. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. Yeah, for sure. What have we learned here today, children? (laughs) The Holy Spirit matters. Apart from Christ, debauchery reigns. And trust in God is our only hope for righteousness. So, be encouraged. We have good news. The work of Christ is spreading. It is accomplishing much. It is bearing fruit amongst his people. Stand firm, Christian. And until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Bye.